for this time we could gather and worship you. And Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your word that is before us this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you, Lord, for who you are. And so, Father, we pray that we would come with uh, open hearts and open minds, ready to receive what you have for us, Lord, to be changed and made new into the image of Christ. And uh, Lord, again, we thank you for just this opportunity to gather as the body of Christ to worship you and to lift you up, Lord. And we pray that all that has, is, has been said and done and will be said and done will glorify you and you alone. Father, again, we thank you for these that are here. And Father, just again, give us an amazing night tonight where we can just, Lord, just glean from you and what you have for us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our minds and give us understanding and wisdom in what you'd have for us. And Father, again, we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you. You may be seated. And uh, as you guys are being seated, as these guys are being seated, we're going to, I just want to talk about a couple announcements, and then uh, we'll dive into our uh, devotion for this evening. And so uh, a couple things real quick, want to make sure you guys know about, uh, please do not forget about the hygiene drive uh, that's going on starting today through the end of the month. Um, I haven't looked, it's going to go for the whole month. And that goes for the Kids in Distress Services, which is out of Port Huron. And so a great opportunity to really reach uh, kids right here in the thumb and encourage them and be a blessing to them. And, and so, uh, again, if you have questions on what you can bring, there's a list in the uh, bulletin board there in the lobby. And it'll give a bunch of different ideas there of some things that you can put in the box. And so please do that. Um, also want to let you know about communion coming up uh, next uh, Sunday. Uh, we do have our snack night uh, next Sunday night after church for the student ministry. So that's going on. Again, $3, and they bring their own drink for that. Um, also, we have our baptism Sunday coming up on the 21st. Uh, Forever Young is going to be on the 21st as well. So don't forget about that. And then our uh, annual church business meeting will be at the end of the month. So we really want to encourage you to be here for that as well and invite or encourage rather um, other members to be here for that. I know... Um, Sometimes it's out of sight, out of mind, especially, and I find this to be true, uh, when things are going really, really well in a church, uh, church business meetings don't get attended. Uh, when things are kind of hairy or not going great, or there's not a lot of finances or things like that, all of a sudden, everybody wants to go to the business meeting. So um, I know it can be like that, and praise God, we're in a really good season right now. I mean, he's been blessing tremendously, but we still want you to know what's going on, and we also will be voting on officers, so we want to encourage all members to be present for that, all right? Um, also, with uh, just some upcoming events and stuff, we do have family game night that is scheduled for this coming Saturday. Um, if you've been looking at the weather, uh, obviously it shows that we could get some snow between, I think, maybe Tuesday, Wednesday through Saturday. Um, obviously, if we do get uh, snow where we're not able to really have good roads, uh, the plan is we would just push that back potentially one week um, and try to hopefully get another good Saturday uh, the next week on the 20th. Um, and so if that's the case, we'll let you know that as we get closer. Um, but obviously we may not know until Friday night or Saturday morning, depending. I think the snow is supposed to come mostly during the day as of right now. So we'll let you know as we know more. But as of now, uh, we're still having, I think it's four to seven. Um, and so it's going to be a great time. So be encouraging people to come out to that as well. And then Nerf night for the students or for the Word of Life. Um, that's going on uh, as well uh, this month. And so make sure you're thinking about that. If you have children or grandchildren in that Word of Life group, encouraging them to come, inviting other friends to come. It's amazing. Uh, I mentioned this morning that we had one of our Word of Life kids that uh, wanted to invite their whole class uh, to the event. Um, 
after church today, I had another parent reach out to me and say, hey, my son wants to invite their whole class. So can you make up, I don't know how many they said, 20-some invites. And so, um, Sandra, have fun. You're going to have a lot of kids potentially for this. Um, but I know we've had pretty large turnouts for this event with, uh, with kids and stuff. Um, and it's a lot of fun, and it's kind of meant to be a fun activity. But really, there's primary reason is the gospel is going to be shared, number one. And then number two, we pray that these kids that are coming and these families that are bringing these kids have a great night, but also we want to see them again. We want to see them come back the next week and again and moving forward. So be praying for this. Be praying for any maybe unsaved kids that are going to be there to hear the gospel, to come to Christ. And then also obviously want to pray for growth as this hopefully will lead to new families coming in into our uh, Word of Life group through the middle of the year. So all of that, just to kind of give you a heads up, let you know what's going on. A um, lot of things we're excited about, though. Um, also, just a side note, I've had a couple people ask me about Fast Car, um, the Word of Life Fast Car. Some people have asked when that's going to be. Usually it's in February. Um, however, and we mentioned this before uh, back in the spring, uh, we currently do not have a Word of Life missionary that serves our church in this area. Um, the Van Bruggen's transitioned into a different ministry in the spring or into the summer, and so we don't have a Word of Life missionary. So unfortunately, because we don't have a Word of Life missionary, there's no one to bring the track, set up the track, and run the event for us. Um, and so this year, there is no fast car. So we are not doing fast car, unfortunately. But uh, be praying that God will bring about a Word of Life missionary for this area. And really, it's just as they have someone that can serve this area, um, that's when they'll send someone out here. So uh, a lot of churches, Word of Life churches, especially on the west side of the state, that are currently without a missionary as well. And so just be praying for that. All right? But I want to make sure you know that because I've had people asking me literally last Wednesday, someone said, hey, when is that? And it was awesome. They said, we're going to go on vacation uh, usually around that time, middle of February, something like that, uh, for a week. And we don't want to miss it. So we're going to plan our vacation around that event. Um, I thought that was really neat that they were willing to literally plan their vacation around this church event. And so um, that's not usually how people treat church ministry or church events. And so uh, that was really awesome that they were willing to do that. So uh, but just want to give you a heads up on that. So any questions about any upcoming events, activities, anything at all? Don't forget, if you would like to nominate anyone for an office, that's due Sunday as well. I forgot to mention that when I was talking about the business meeting. So, yes. I do have a question. Sure. Um, you said that there's a three-year position that's coming up. Is, that, is it okay to know who's stepping down? Because you said you could nominate that person to be there. So, uh, yes, we have, so we have six deacons, and they all serve three-year terms. And so the... So deacon is three-year term. Yep. So the one deacon whose three-year term is up now is actually TJ Bornison, um, who's actually already been nominated and approved that nomination. So now we're just waiting for the church to decide. Um, and so, uh, but we can always add more deacon nominations. We only have one spot. But if we were to have, say, two men nominated as deacon, then the church would choose one of those two men is all it would be. So we can still nominate more than what's needed for the position, obviously. Um, and then the, we have three trustees that are, uh, need to be voted, three right now, currently we have three, uh, that we need to be voted back in if that's the case. And then obviously a treasurer and a clerk. So, um, and Jeff Proctor is currently serving as treasurer, um, William Vaughn, uh, Dave Channel, and um, Dave Channel and uh, Wesley Proctor. There you go. I, I always forget one every time I do a list. Um, are our trustees. And then Mary Berry is currently serving as clerk. So, coming events, activities. All right. Open your Bibles this evening to John chapter 3. 
So, a lot of you guys know we just finished Daniel, and it's good to have uh, some of our uh, play um, uh, leadership and those that were helping and serving and volunteering in there with us again on Sunday nights. I know you guys have been out for a while since the end of September, so it's good to have you guys back. Uh, if you don't know, we have been studying, we did a study through the fall, um, well, really kind of November into December, of uh, Daniel, a study through uh, the kind of the life of Daniel. And we talked about um, developing strong convictions in a world that does not have strong convictions. We talked about developing convictions based on God's word and God, where God would lead us, not based on kind of the fluidity of culture. And we talked about the importance of that and developing those convictions for ourselves uh, individually before the Lord. Well, that was a, uh, a series, a study that was put out by uh, Lifeway Curriculum. And so um, with that, there was another little study in there. And so this is kind of primarily meant to be like adult Sunday school material is really what it is. Uh, but we're kind of adapting it for our Sunday evening service. And so the next one, um, as I was looking into it here the last couple of weeks, uh, really intrigued me. And I thought it might be a good study to do as we kind of continue through this. And so the title of the, the study is Confident in the Face of Hard Questions. Confident in the face of hard questions. So the idea here is that this study looks at six prominent questions often used to attack the Christian faith. Examining these questions in light of scripture gives Christians solid footing for their beliefs and helps them to speak graciously and knowingly uh, with those who question their beliefs. And so the basic idea here, and we'll see how the Lord leads, obviously, is that when we know what we believe and why we believe it, we can stand with assurance in the truth of Christ. Consequently, we speak with confidence as we have opportunities to talk with others about Christ. And so the idea is that this study is meant to give us kind of that sure footing of knowing what we believe and why we believe it, and then how to have those kind of conversations. Now, this is going to be, again, in a very general sense. So I don't think we're going to dive into very specific application, but I pray that the Lord would do that through the study for you. So the study goes on to say here in the introduction kind of section, questions, even objections about our faith can arise, but our witness for Christ isn't hindered because we know how to respond. Now, that doesn't mean we have an answer for every question, right? And we talked about this a lot, whether it was last year, if you guys remember in January, we went through the, the Ten Commandments of Progressive Christianity, and we kind of walked through those things. We know that we live in a culture that challenges our Christian faith. That, that challenges our beliefs as followers of Christ. We live in a culture that is in, uh, stands against, rather, the things of God. And so what this study is hopefully going to help us to do over the next six weeks is to understand that it really does matter what we believe, and it really is important to live that out in our daily lives. And so kind of the overall point of this week's study, uh, what we're going to look at tonight, is knowing the truth of Christ is the only way we can experience freedom. The way that we can experience freedom. Now, again, I don't have a handout for you guys. Um, with the Daniel study, took a little bit of a break those six weeks from a handout. We do handouts on uh, Wednesday night, and so kind of taking a little bit of a break from that. Um, but if you'd like a copy of the notes, you can have those. I can send those to you. But I encourage you to bring maybe something to take notes with if you'd like. Um, and we do have, obviously, clipboards up here as well if you need that. Um, but John chapter 3... And we're going to give you a little bit of background here in just a moment. But we're going to dive into this conversation with Nicodemus that Jesus has and how it helps us understand that knowing the truth of Christ is the only way that we can experience true freedom. Now, as a kind of a practical application in today's culture, and I think we can understand this to be true, people want us to assume that truth is what the individual makes it to be. And I think that's a fair statement of our culture today. 
that people want us to assume that truth is what the individual makes it to be. If that's true, then the concept of truth becomes non-existent because two opposing views can't both be true. And we talked about this a lot with the progressive Christianity view. That viewpoint might lead some to conclude that truth doesn't really matter. Yet because that notion is so illogical, we should be driven to the opposite conclusion. There must be a singular truth that applies to all people. Scripture points us to that truth, and it's found in Jesus Christ. And so just kind of an opening discussion question, and if you weren't with us in Daniel, uh, through the study there will be some discussion questions that they recommend. And so we'll kind of go through those as we get to them. But what are some sources, or what are some sources you trust to tell you the truth? As a follower of Christ, uh, for you, what are some sources that you trust to tell you the truth? Okay, hopefully your preacher, right? Your pastor, okay? So hopefully your pastor will be doing that. As me as your preacher, I'll be telling you the truth of God's word. Where else are some sources we can find and trust for truth? Avi. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Um, it was so amazing this morning. Um, after service, I was having, I think it was like two or three people, four people approached me and made comments about the message. And which is really funny because even as I was writing the message this last week, I was like, this is so simple. And I, I was just praying the Lord would take the simplicity of it and use it in a practical way. And I had a couple different people that were like, you know, that's my favorite passage. Man, I love this part of that passage and I'm always encouraged by this. Uh, someone else said that there was here this morning that somebody that was with them has been questioning literally whether or not the word of God is the word of God and not just man's word. Um, and, and this was exactly the message that they wish they could hear uh, to help encourage them with that truth. And so I'm always amazed at the word of God is literally that foundational truth that when we just give people the word, man, it affects great change. So yes, absolutely. The word of God is the source that we can trust to tell us the truth, right? Which, by the way, does that always feel good? No, of course not. Um, and that's why, actually, I just recently saw, uh, if you guys, I've mentioned him before, um, his, his channel or his page is called Red Pen Logic. Um, Professor B, I forget his real name, like his actual name. But anyway, um, which actually he just wrote a book I, I really kind of want to get. He wrote a book with Alyssa Childers um, about uh, deconstructing and, or the deconstruction of the Christian faith or something. Anyway, he's basically talking against all the progressive nonsense. And it's, it's, I'm sure it's going to be amazing, so I really want to get that book. But he was talking about the passage. You guys know the passage, and we were in Timothy this morning. Do you remember in Timothy 4 when Paul warns Timothy and he says, there'll come a day where people won't endure sound doctrine? You guys recognize that, right? And what does it say after that? They're gonna, not going to endure sound doctrine. What are they going to do? Yeah. Yep. So they're going to amass to themselves these teachers that will make them feel good, right? And he pointed something out that I hadn't really thought of before. And I, this is just his opinion. And I didn't dive into the Greek on that exact word to find out exactly. But it seems to me like it was an encouragement to think, wow, that's so true. He talked about the word endure, he said, people won't endure sound teaching. And he brought this up. He said, endure something that can be difficult or challenging, right? Now, don't take this to the point where we say sound teaching can't be enjoyable because for the believer, it is enjoyable, but we endure it. Why? Because it can also be very challenging to us because we don't think with sound doctrine naturally. We need the word of God and the spirit of God to draw us to that, which means usually changing some things about the way we think, the way we act, how we, how we function day to day. 
And he pointed that out that we need to endure sound doctrine. We need to go through that process because it's for the best. And so for me, when you think about this idea of truth and enduring in all these things and going to the word of God, it's difficult, but it's so rewarding. And I just, I love the way that he pointed that out. So what are some other sources that you trust to tell you the truth? Prayerfully, your preacher. And if I stop telling you the truth, you should fire me instantly. Okay. Okay. Uh, the word of God, obviously. Yeah, Julie. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So we're, what, one of the great blessings of technology is you can literally pull up a sermon from amazing giants of the faith from, from decades ago, right? And you can listen to these great messages and you can have access to them as though you're sitting in their churches in the way back in the day, whatever time it was. And so absolutely, there's great resources to great preaching and teaching and truthful teaching and preaching. But again, we need to be careful because sometimes just because it's available and just because it's called Christian or they quote a Bible verse doesn't necessarily mean they're biblically sound. So yes, technology gives us lots of opportunities for many preachers or speakers or things like that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. And, and some people go the opposite way. They go, well, I don't really have a great devotional life, but I, I know the spirit and I'll just be led in the spirit. And that can be a dangerous thing too, because some people will get you to believe something's in the spirit when it's actually not the spirit of God. It's a spirit, but it's not the, the spirit. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Avi. Hmm. That's a great point. Yeah. That's a great point. When we look at creation, we actually see the truth of God. It's the problem is that people look at the same evidence we look at, but they come at it with a preconceived idea. And in, in essence, they dismiss any chance of there being a creator. Absolutely. But if we just look at it honestly, intellectually, it will lead us to something greater than ourselves. Yeah. Which is exactly what Romans 1 says, right? Romans 1 says you look at creation and you can see the majesty of God, the power of the Godhead, and so on. So absolutely. It's a great source of truth. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Right. 
in science fields. Absolutely. Yep. Which goes hand in hand with trying to remove God, which would lead to self being God and part of that process, for sure. Any other ideas on trusted uh, sources that we trust to tell us the truth? The Word of God, obviously science and creation all around us, right? Different pastors, speakers, preachers that we can have access to, local church leaders and pastors. No. Of anyone in the room, Avi, you're the one I thought would never know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. She's going to slap herself later in repentance. Um, how about trusted Christian friends? Like, I, I feel like we sometimes don't think of that, but I think that if you're a man and you have a close male Christian friend or a female and you have a close female Christian friend that you can go to and confide in that you know is going to give you godly counsel, like that's a trusted source of truth. Like you can go to them. And by the way, you can test this when they tell you things you don't want to hear, but you need to hear, right? That's that source that you go, I I trust this friend is going to really be a friend and tell me what I need to hear, not what I want to hear. So I believe that we can also look to Christian friends and family members that will walk with us through that for sure. So a little bit of background on John 3, and then we're going to dive into this and kind of apply it to our overall key idea. So John 3, we see here a conversation between Jesus and who? Nicodemus, right? And who is Nicodemus? What do we know of him? He's a religious ruler. What's that, Margie? Oh, no, that's Zacchaeus. <laughs> yeah, no, you're good, you're good. Say, uh, I like it. We, I mean, Nicodemus, maybe he was a wee little man. I don't know. It doesn't tell us how tall he was. We can apply it. I'll go with it. It's fine. Uh, yeah, we're just, I'm just adding to scripture. It's fine. Um, so uh, we also, so he knows, also know that he knew the law, right? He was very educated in the law. Uh, he comes to Jesus. When does he come to Jesus? Okay. Again, a couple ideas here. He was scared to come in during the day. I don't believe that. I think he came at night because he wanted private time with Jesus. He wanted to have one-on-one conversation. And when Jesus is surrounded with thousands of people 24-7, especially during the day, I should say, then at night when he's alone with his disciples, he might get more one-on-one time. Uh, Nicodemus had been impressed by Jesus's miracles and apparently wanted to know more about him. We see this in John 3, 1 through 2. When Jesus began to discuss Nicodemus's need for a new birth, the religious leader was puzzled. He did not openly reject this new truth, but he was definitely confused. We see that in verse 4. Jesus continued to explain the spiritual truth that transcends ordinary physical birth and then said he would eventually be lifted up. Jesus would be lifted up, referring to his death on the cross. Through his death, those who believe in Jesus would receive eternal life. We see that in verses 14 and 15. And God's purpose in sending Jesus into the world was to provide salvation, not to condemn the world, verses 16 through 18. Now, we're also going to be in John 8 in just a little bit. If we get there tonight, we'll see how the Lord leads. But in John 8, um, we also want to understand a little bit there that we fast forward, obviously, a few chapters. We'll get there in just a little bit. Uh, Jesus had been teaching in John 8, about his identity and his relationship to God the Father. The Jews remained confused. Jesus then referenced his crucifixion. He concluded by saying that everything he said was from the Father who was always with him, and that, excuse me, all he did pleased the Father. As a result of his words, many believed in Jesus. So, We have a conversation with Nicodemus in John 3. We have the situation in John 8 with the religious leaders and the Jews and kind of see how they come together as Jesus revealing that he is the source for truth, that in Christ we find ultimate freedom. So John 3, let's look at verse 19. 
So John 3 and verse 19. If I can get a volunteer, I'd like to read verses 19 through 21. That would be great. Avi, thank you. Okay, so in verse 21, uh, obvious translation translated it right. What's another word there that's used in that verse? In verse 21, but he that does truth, right? He that does truth comes to the light. So this idea of truth and doing what is right, there's a connection here. Truth is revealed in the light of Jesus. Truth is revealed, ultimately, in the light of Jesus. We're also familiar with John 3.16. Sometimes we fail to read the rest of the story. God's plan is that we accept the good news about Jesus and be reconciled to God through the repentance and faith in Jesus. However, anyone who rejects Jesus and the gospel is ultimately, in verse 18, what? What happens to those who reject Jesus and his gospel, according to verse 18? Okay, they're condemned, right? And they're condemned already. They're they're still living, they're breathing, they're they're consuming oxygen, but they're still condemned. Why? Because they've rejected the truth, and Jesus, unlike us, knows whether or not they're going to remain in that rejection. Some you may meet somebody and they reject truth or reject truth or reject Jesus today, but five years from now come to Christ. Jesus is the only one that can say, no, you're condemned already because I know you'll never come to faith in me. And so here we see that there's a truth statement here, right? This is a pretty bold statement. Those in Christ, eternal life. Those apart from Christ, condemnation. In John 3, 19, Jesus used the contrast between light and darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. He brings the light of truth into every situation. However, because people love to live their own lives, believing what they want to believe, They would rather continue living in darkness, as the world portrays as truth, instead of believing in the truth that only Jesus can bring. It's a pretty amazing thing to think about. Those outside of Christ would rather continue living in darkness, believing and deceiving themselves into that they're actually okay, than merely receiving the truth of Christ. And what does John say is their motivation for wanting to stay in darkness and not receiving Christ? What's their, what's their motivation? I, I don't want the light of Christ. I'd rather live in darkness. Okay, they love their sin. They want to continue in it, but they also don't want their sin exposed. Right? This is the reality of our world today. We're, we're all walking in this dark world. They're living in sin, these unbelievers. And they, they really do know it because I don't know if you've ever witnessed somebody where you've tried to convince them of their sin and they go, yeah, I know that. I've never witnessed the one person and said, well, we've all sinned. And they go, well, sure, yeah, we've all done things we shouldn't have done. I mean, I've never had one unbeliever tell me they've never sinned. They all believe they've sinned because they know they've sinned, right, Avi? It was an interesting thing I was watching about, um, I, I don't remember what I was listening to, but you know whenever somebody is a criminal and they're arrested, mm-hmm. they're going into the court or they're going into the jail or whatever, they've always got like their foot over their head. Or mm-hmm. sort of the way yeah. It's just like, well, you were brazen enough to kill 17 people. What, where are you now? They can't right. Right. You can't like have your face seen. Right. So you know that what you've done is wrong. Are mm-hmm. you trying to hide yourself right. on the way in the court? Yeah. That open shame, yeah. right? Yeah. They, we know we, and by the way, this is true of believers too. We've just come to Christ. Uh, we know what we've done is shameful and vile and all of that. But again, that covering, 
And, and by the way, what did Adam and Eve do in the garden when God came to them? Tried to cover ourselves, right? Maybe if I cover myself up. And this is our biggest problem as, a, as the human race, okay? Is that we are so desiring to cover our sin because we know it's not right, but we're not really ready to surrender to Christ and have our sin just taken away. And even in the study, it goes on to say this, people avoid hearing the truth. So not even responding to the truth, they don't want to even hear the truth because they don't want to change. It's not our problems that keep us from coming to Christ and trusting in him. We think that it's not me, it's, it's something they are true that make us blind to the light of Christ. All, anyone who receives Christ knows that they have to humble themselves before Christ, admit that they've sinned, and re- receive grace. Those that reject Christ would rather walk in darkness, in shame, in guilt, but I'm the God of my own life. I don't need that forgiveness. I'm fine. I'm better than so-and-so. And these are lies that we are told. And ultimately, it leads to us being separated from Christ, not only in this life, but in the life to come. So, a couple of questions here to kind of think about. In what in what Wow, in what? what? That's a typo. What are some ways people love darkness rather than light? What are some ways that people love darkness rather than light? Jeff? Okay. No. No, in fact, if you've ever walked into one... Um, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or anything. But if you ever walked into one, um, and I can only speak to this because as I was growing up, my mom was a, a bartender and very, like, dive bars up and down uh, Seven Mile and Gratiot, Six and Gratiot in that area. And these little, what you call hole-in-the-wall bars where it's, like, just a front of stores and there's this little strip of a, a building and that's, that's where you go. And, yeah, you walk in and it's, like, it's so dark. You can't really see much. And then when you come out, that light hits you. Right? And it's almost like blinding, right? So why is that? Why is it always dark in there? Because they really don't want people to see what they're doing, right? Absolutely. It's a great illustration of that spiritual truth, okay? Uh, What are some other ways that people love darkness rather than light? In our culture, kind of, we see this more and more, but Mm-hmm. And I was asking a question, I thought, like, you know what scripture talks about, where it says that if you love those that are in darkness and, like, uh, give favor to them, because, I can't think of the verse, it's in Romans, but the point is, is that, I'm going to pull up the language in a second, but the point is, is that you approve of people who do evil, and you oh, Yes. When it lists all the sins and it says, not only do you do them, but you take joy in those who do, or you encourage those to keep doing it. Yes. Yes. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's just kind of this thing where, you know, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a woman's right to just do what she wants with her body. Like, yeah, of course we're going to 
Right, right. Because that, cult, that generation has grown up where that's just normalized. Yep, yep. And I think that's a great point right there. I mean, I just think it's the normalizing of wickedness and sinfulness in a culture. It's just expected. That's just what it is. And it's no longer even saw, seen as sinful. It's just what it is, and there's no reason to question it. So absolutely, I think when we normalize it, and now we may not be doing those things, but we are okay with those who do. And we're approving of those who do by not, either not saying anything against it or even by openly encouraging it as a culture. Absolutely. I think it's very much loving darkness instead of the light, 100%. Julie. Well, and that's what I think we're, that's what I think this kind of study is getting at too, is understanding that and it's Jesus's words. Like, like we, if I expose your sin or if I speak against someone else's sin, then I'm going to risk what someone exposing my sin. Right. So rather than do that and humble my stuff and be open and transparent, I need to not say anything about what you're doing because I'm doing this and I don't want anyone to know what I'm doing either. So I think there's a lot of that too in our culture where it's kind of, we're just going to go along with whatever because I don't want anyone to point out anything I'm doing that might be wrong or sinful or whatever. So, uh, but also I think, and it kind of goes to this next question that the study points out, because um, this is kind of what we're taught. You guys are talking about is this idea of loss of truth in a culture will produce more darkness. And so it really does. And we kind of answered this question a little bit. The question is, how does the loss of truth in our culture produce more darkness? Well, you guys just talked about it. As a society drifts away from understanding basic truth, it will produce more darkness because it's going to lead to what it said in the very beginning. Truth is individual. Whatever you define as true and I define as true, it's all fine. As long as you don't ever tell me I'm wrong and I won't tell you you're wrong. But what are we really seeing with that? That's not really what's happening, right? It's if your truth agrees in part with my truth, then we're fine. But if your truth speaks against my truth, then you're wrong. And it's obviously coming against more of the Christian faith because the Christians are the ones that are speaking out the most about this. Um, and so quickly, because I know we're, we want to move on to the next point. Any other thoughts on that before we move on? I see a couple of people like looks on their face and almost raised hands. So Renee.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So first of all, your illustration about it's easier to sleep in the dark, I love that. That's spot on. So, okay, well, did you say it, Melody? Okay, she said it out loud where everyone could hear it. So mm, if you had a little confidence, we would have heard it. So we're good. Okay, um, next time I want to call on Melody. I'm be like, Melody, what do you think? Um, but I love that because it's so true. Like, it's easier for us to just kind of coax through life and not, be startled awake by the darkness for sure. But I love what you said too about the apathy. Like it's the, the farther we drift from the light, the easier it is to just kind of coast and not really say anything um, because it is difficult. But again, like what, what Julie said in the very beginning, we, and, and I think it was Avi too, the word of truth, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, and that goes to what do we base our convictions on? The truth of the word. Right? And so if somebody challenges goes, well, that, I don't think that's right. You shouldn't say that. Okay? Don't take issue with me. Take issue with the word of God. And again, that's where we have to be careful. I'm not saying we're antagonistic or jerky about it or mean-spirited. But sometimes speaking truth is going to come across as offensive. So what I'm saying is speak truth. That's offensive enough. Don't add offense to it by being offensive, right? You get what I'm saying? So I think we can be careful there too. But again, don't coddle back and go, well, it's not that big of a deal. And I see Christian ministries doing this all over the place, like giving on these things that are like, well, it's not a big deal. We're just going to concede that point. Why would you ever concede that point, whatever it might be, if it's against God's word? And it just, it's insane to me to think about. Avi. Southern Baptist Convention? Okay. Oh, yes, yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The verse, is it Isaiah? We call evil good and good evil, right? And, and so ultimately, what's the solution for that? The, the solution is not, if we're being bare bones here, the solution is not more information. The, the darkness around us doesn't need more information about the fact that it's dark. The solution is the interjection of light, right? It's, it's interjecting the gospel. So you could say, well, I guess that's more information in a sense, But what I mean by we don't need more information is I don't need to convince them of these things apart from Christ. We start with the gospel and we move towards these other things. And so, again, that's what Jesus is saying. What what did Nicodemus come asking? Well, he really didn't ask a question yet, right? We know that you're from God because if you're not from God, you couldn't do these things. Jesus finds the question he really wants to ask, which is in his heart, which is how do I know I have eternal life? 
And Jesus answers that question. Now, I believe Nicodemus would have got there. I really do think Nicodemus would have got to that question because it's obviously on his heart because Jesus spoke to it. But Nicodemus is laying some groundwork. He wants to kind of establish a baseline, okay? He has basic faith in God. He believes. He's looking forward to this relationship with God. He wants to know the truth. And so Jesus answers that question. But Jesus goes right to the heart of the problem. He doesn't say, Nicodemus, you need to fix this in your life and fix that in your life and get this right and get that right. He says, no, here's the truth you need to know. There's only one way to the Father. It's through me. Right? If you believe in me, you have eternal life. And if you don't, you're condemned. That's as bold as we need to be as we speak truth. And if people respond to it favorably, then praise God. And if they don't, that's in God's hands. Now, we can speak other truth, but so many Christians think, i got to convince them of these other debatable topics first to get them to Jesus. No, no, no. We start with Jesus because they will never understand truth apart from first knowing Christ. So, we're going to put a pause right here only because the next part of the study is going to John 8. I don't really want to jump into John 8 and then stop in just a couple of minutes. So we're going to pause here at 6.50. We're a little early, so bear with me on that. I mean, you guys are just early this morning, early tonight. This is not a new trend for 2024, okay? So don't expect this next week. Um, but I do want to encourage you guys to go to John 8 and this week, read that for yourself. But again, I really hope this study will be an encouragement to you because I think it's important that we understand that the Word of God is a source of truth. Jesus is sort of a source of light. We're going to face hard questions. And so what's the solution? We don't try to answer every question if we don't know the question. We can say, I don't know the answer. But we do know that there is one who does know the truth. And we point them to Jesus, and then we endeavor to learn it together. All right? Any other questions, comments, or thoughts on what we talked about tonight real quick before we uh, get ready to close in prayer? Avi. Yes. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about the other verse from Romans. That's where I was thought you were going. Okay, sorry. Mm-hmm. Matthew chapter 5. Yep, yep. Absolutely. You know, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, right? So, yeah, we need to definitely remember that. Shining our light this, this week in our community. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Let that light of Christ shine. Absolutely. Yeah. If you argue with a fool, people watching that aren't going to know who the fool is. Yeah. That idea. Yeah. Don't argue with a fool too long. It doesn't mean we can't debate and have conversations. Um, Paul debated frequently, right? He'd go into the synagogue and debate what? That Jesus is Lord, that he is the Messiah. Um, he went to the marketplace and he debated with different religious people and stuff. So, so we can debate, we can have those conversations, but the heart of it is it's about centering on Christ and the gospel and getting them to a point of understanding what faith looks like, not so much just convincing them of your viewpoint on something. Um, but I, I truly believe this too, and then we're going to close in prayer. The greatest way that we can affect change in someone's life is through praying for them because we can only say so much, but the spirit of God can work in their hearts. And I think if you know someone and we can talk about this stuff in a general sense, right? Like this broad brush of culture, we can talk about that. Uh, the reality is our world is moving towards as God designed and is planned towards darkness. It's a fallen world. It's sinful. So many Christians are like, yeah, but if we do this, then we'll, we'll change the whole culture. I believe revival can take place at any time. But I don't believe 
God wants us to look at the broad picture and start there. I think he wants us to start one-on-one. So we can talk about the big culture and, and how to affect change on a grand scale. But I believe the big change comes when we have these conversations with people in our lives. And, and you might know someone that is struggling with truth. Um, like the person that was here this morning that challenged even God's word being God's word anymore. Um, I know people, you know people that are maybe even at one time were professing believers and now have said, I just don't believe that anymore. I just don't believe that truth anymore. So I, I think honestly praying for them is the greatest way to affect change in their lives. That may lead to, you know, change kind of rippling out and we pray that happens, but we don't start at the culture and work in. We start at individuals, right? Jesus didn't start with all the Pharisees. He started with Nicodemus, right? He picked 12, okay? And he started with them and then they affected change in individual lives. And so I think it's having those conversations, speaking truth where we can in our area of influence and letting that affect change in people's lives. All right, well, let's pray. And then we'll let you guys be dismissed. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you, Lord, for your love and grace in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, for revealing the truth through your word. Uh, Lord, none of us in this room, myself included, claim to have a definitive grasp on the fullness of the truth of God's word. I understand and I know that there is so much that is in this word. And there are great minds and theologians that wrestle with and debate various aspects of this, uh, this amazing uh, resource that you've given to us in your word. But Father, I do believe that there are, are clear, concise, direct, uh, even things that we can be dogmatic about that are revealed in your word. Truth that is obvious. Now, there is only one way to heaven. It is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We do not have to fear death if we're in Christ because you have conquered death. And so therefore, one day we too will have victory over death. We believe that there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Word of God is the Word of God and true. And we believe that life has intrinsic value and worth both before a child is born and after. These are clear things from Scripture. And we live in a culture that challenges so many of these things. Lord, if we're being honest, even the creation of the world is being challenged, even by believers, professing Christians that are challenging the, the reality of creation. And not because they've come to this conclusion through studying God's word, but because they've come to this conclusion because of pressure from the society. And yet you tell us again, and like we said this morning, Lord, the word of God is where we find our source for doctrine, for teaching. How is it that I believe Genesis 1 and 2 as literal? Well, because you reaffirm it in Peter, when Peter says in Second uh, Peter 3 that people will say, scoffers will say, it's always been the same from the creation until now. And Peter even says, omitting a global flood. Lord, even in Peter's day, people were already dismissing the word of God as true, already drifting away from it as a foundation. And here we are, 2,000 years later, even in churches, People gather together and hear false teachers. People stand up and share things that are vehemently against your word, even claiming that, that God lied to Adam and Eve and Satan was the one that was telling the truth. Lord, to hear that preached from a pulpit in a church, and we're not talking about some strange, weird, off-the-wall cult. We're talking about this being preached in a church denomination that would be considered mainline in our country today. 
It's utter nonsense. And we would never, I don't think 50 years ago, we would have thought that would have happened, Lord. But here we are, and people are just running into the darkness. And yet you told us it would happen. And so, Father, I pray you'd help us as believers in our area of influence. I know we feel like, how can we affect change on a grand scale? Well, you don't call us to affect change on a grand scale. You call us to affect change in the people's lives that we're in contact with during the day, during the week. So help us to see those opportunities to be drawn to the light, drawn to truth, that we might live in a way that would honor you. Father, help us to be on our knees this week in prayer, to be in your word faithfully, consistently, to have a spirit of willingness to surrender to where you lead us. And again, Lord, all of this in everything for your glory. Give us a great week, we ask, Father, all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.